means that if you've ever bought something or ordered something on the internet and when you've got it home or it's been delivered, you've realised it's just not the right size. Has that ever happened to you? Um, we're trying to just um, tidy up our house in a few places at the moment and um, the vinyl on the kitchen floor was a bit mouldy by the washing machine and the, the dog, God bless it, had, had a little go at the corner. So we decided we needed to replace it. So I went off up to the local DIY store and bought, I'd measured it and everything, bought some vinyl tiles. And then the vinyl tiles do what any DIY product does when it comes into our house. It sits in the dining room for about three or four weeks, leaning against the wall, waiting for someone to do something with it. So we, last Monday evening, I think, we'd got an evening free and we're like, right, this is the evening, we've got to get the tiles down. So we start unpacking them and as we unpack them, it begins to dawn on me that there isn't enough. Not by one or two, but by about six boxes. And I'm like, what was I thinking when I measured this? I used to be a quantity surveyor. I used to get paid for measuring things and I haven't got anywhere near it. So I get in the car and I'm going up to B&Q and I'm really not very happy because I've got a really busy week. This is the only night and I'm praying. And the prayer goes something like this. Dear God, you do realise if B&Q is shut or they no longer have these vinyl tiles or the ones they do have, the batch code doesn't match the original code I bought a few weeks ago, I am going to be extremely unhappy and upset. Amen. (laughs) That was my prayer. Don't laugh as if you've never prayed a prayer like that because you all have. God, in his infinite wisdom, was gracious to me on this occasion, and they did have six boxes of said tiles left when I got there. Hallelujah. But you've, you've done it, haven't you? Or you've been on the internet for your shopping, and you've got so carried away with something being a really good price that you forget to check the fact that it's only that big, and that's why it's a good price. Because yes, the mouthwash might only be a quid, and on the the screen it looks this big but it's that big in reality you thought it was this big no it's travel size that's why it's so cheap and we can get caught up with this can't we and we forget to measure properly and I've done that so many times honestly and this week um, at the moment sorry we're beginning to think aren't we about living a bigger life and I'm quite practical believe it or not from what I've just said but If I'm called to be being a bigger person, leading a bigger life, I want some way of measuring how big I am now, or not literally, obviously, you know, so that I can measure what, what, you know, whether I've actually got into this bigger life. And this week we're looking at the subject of prayer, and the danger is when you speak about prayer is people might sit there thinking, gosh, you must be an expert on prayer. Well, I just want to lay that to rest straight away because I'm really not. But I'm just sharing with you things that I feel God's taught me. I am sure that wherever you are at, whether you've been a Christian for years, whether you've not even a Christian, maybe you're not here this morning, I'm sure every single one of you at some point in your life will have prayed. Even if it's just a, God, if you actually exist, help me. Or maybe the sort of prayer that I prayed on the way to B&Q. Or maybe you've been a Christian for years and and you've moved on from that. But I'm sure we've all prayed. And I hope this morning that I can share something that will help you in your prayer life to get that little bit bigger wherever you are on the journey of prayer. But how do we pray bigger prayers? What is a bigger prayer? And there's lots of ways you can measure things. And as you know, the last few weeks we've been having a prop each. 
And I'm sure by now, looking at the props that are left, you can probably guess that the prop that I've chosen is the tape measure. I was hoping that, although some of you know that I like running, you had worked out that the monkey trainers are not mine, because they're really not. But no, I've chosen the tape measure because I wanted to think about this idea of how we measure things. So my first thought with prayer is then, okay, the easiest way to measure prayer is length. Yeah? You ever been in a prayer meeting? And some people can pray and pray and pray, and they don't come up for air. And you're like, I can pray and like two minutes I'm done, but they can go on and on and it's just incredible. But I thought, is that all it is about praying bigger, is to pray longer? That seems a little bit superficial. So then I thought, maybe no, maybe it's about depth. And when we talk about depth, you have to kind of say it in a deep kind of way, don't you? We're talking about deep prayers. And maybe what does we mean by depth in prayer? Maybe God's quite clever. Maybe he wants us to use long, complicated words. So maybe if you can get the word sanctification into your prayer, maybe that impresses God and God thinks that's a bigger prayer. Or maybe if you pray in kind of oldie-worldie English, a bit like the first song we sang this morning, you know, with these and those and thines in it. You know, God's obviously, you know, pretty clever and he's also quite old, so maybe he appreciates that. Maybe that seems more reverent to him, although actually a couple of hundred years ago that was just the normal way that people spoke. So is that what it means to pray a deep prayer? And I I remember I've been in this church for a long time and back in the day, because I can go back to the day, I remember being in a prayer meeting here and and back then people did tend to pray more with these and those and thines and there's nothing actually wrong with that I have to say, God understands that as well. Um, But that was more kind of the tradition back then. And a guy came into the church and he became a Christian, he was a very new uh, Christian and he was from Old Hill, nothing wrong with that. Guy's name was Dave and he was a real broad black country guy. Nothing wrong with that. And in amongst all these these and those prayers, Dave decided to get up and pray. It might have been the first time he'd ever done it in a big group. But he got up there and in amongst the these and the thines, he said, God, yam Boston. <laughs> and I like to think God went, you know what, Dave, you ain't too bad yourself either. Prayer is not just an elaborate piece of creative writing like you might have to do for your GCSE English. It's a conversation with God. And I'm not sure, not that there's anything wrong with any of those words, that God is necessarily impressed by that. So if it's not about length and it's not about depth, maybe it's about being a bigger person. Maybe you have to be a kind of a special Christian to pray big prayers. Perhaps someone like Billy Graham, if you've ever heard of him. Or maybe the Archbishop of Canterbury or the new Pope. Maybe they are bigger Christians who can pray bigger prayers. Maybe Leon Evans or Dan Bennett even might be the people who pray the big prayers. (laughs) But if that is the case, that means that being able to pray a big prayer is only open to the select few. And I actually don't believe that that is true. So my fourth thought about how you can measure prayer was results. And I thought, oh, I think I'm onto something now. Maybe if I see God answer my prayers on a regular basis, I come to him and say, God, please let those tiles be there in B&Q, or God, please can you heal somebody, or please can you do this, please can you do that. And God in his wisdom does, 
I have an answer to prayer. Maybe that, those prayers are bigger prayers because God's answered them. And to start with, I thought, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. But then I began to think about it and I began to get a bit worried. And this is why I got a bit worried. Because let's think about God for a moment. God is the all-powerful, totally in charge, all-knowing, eternal creator and sustainer of the entire universe. Now let's think about me. I am a little dot on a little planet floating around somewhere for about 70 or 80 years in that universe. So comparison between having God rule all of that his way or God come around to my way of thinking and do things my way, actually, I think I'd rather he did it his way most of the time. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with coming to God with your request. The Bible tells us to do that. But if all we're doing in prayer is trying to get God to come around to our way of thinking and giving us the results that we want, then I think we've missed something about bigger prayer. Because what happens when God doesn't do that? What happens when God doesn't answer your prayer? Well, he answers, but he says no. What then? Does that mean that wasn't a big prayer? So if it's not about length and it's not about depth and it's not about the person who prays and maybe not even about the results that we get, how do we know, how do we measure the the measure of our prayers? How do we get that? We've been looking at the book of Acts, as you know, over the last few weeks and I wanted to look at a particular prayer in the book of Acts and then draw some thoughts out of it and hopefully, you know, we can learn something more about prayer. And this verse, this story follows straight on from what Simon spoke on last week. In fact, while he was speaking, I was a little bit concerned, like, don't go too far. You might start nicking my talk. Um, But what Simon talks about, if you weren't here, was the story of Saul. And Saul was a really, you know, he believed in God and he was a devout Jew. He was really passionate about God, but... He saw all these new Christians springing up all over the place and he saw this, he'd seen like these followers of Jesus and he saw this new church and he thought they were really off track and really dangerous and threatening to the Jews. So he went around killing them and he actually thought that that's what God wanted him to do. So he's on the way to Damascus to root out some more of these Christians and put them to death and he has a dramatic encounter with Jesus. There's a bright light shines, he hears a voice from heaven, he's blinded. And I want to just pick the story up from there in Acts chapter 9 and verse 8. Saul got up from the ground. When he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and he didn't eat or drink. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, because he's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. 
Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised and after taking some food he regained his strength. So into this story of Saul comes this guy called Ananias. Who was he exactly? Well he was a Jew, but he was a Jew who'd become a follower of Jesus. He'd been around while he'd seen this new church start to spring up all over the place. He was quite an ordinary guy, really. We don't know an awful lot about him. He was probably one of the leaders in the new church in Damascus. As a Jew, he would have been familiar with praying and studying um, the Bible of the time. But he must have been reasonably new to, to Jesus and Christianity because it literally was reasonably new. You might think, well, he had quite a fancy name, didn't he, Ananias? You don't come across many Ananias these days, do you? But in the book of Acts, there are actually three Ananiases. Ananias I, I decided, maybe. There's three of them. So actually, even his name was quite common in those days. So he was quite a normal, as far as we can tell, ordinary guy and a disciple of Jesus. And he has a vision. Whoa, stop there. You might think, as soon as you hear that, you know, he had a vision. Oh, well, he must have been a bit special then if he had a vision. I've never had a vision. No, people don't generally have a vision. I would like to guess this may have been the first time Ananias ever had a vision. And it could possibly be the last time he ever had a vision. I don't think Ananias got up every morning with his bowl of cornflakes and had a vision from God. And the danger here is if we kind of think too much about this, you can think, well, of course, if God spoke to me in a vision, I'd do what he said as well. But God doesn't do that. But, you know, we're talking about every day and what can God do every day. And it's possible for God to speak to you on a regular basis. Just because it doesn't necessarily happen in a vision, God can still speak to you on a regular basis. So how does God speak to you? And if you've been around church for not very long, you may occasionally hear people say, you know, God said this to me, God spoke to me, and you might think, oh, what's that about then? Do these people hear voices? That's not perhaps so great. The main, re- the main way that God speaks to us today in the 21st century is through the Bible and through reading the Bible. You see, we don't believe that the Bible is just an ordinary book like you could get on your Kindle. I know you can get the Bible on your Kindle, but, you know, or or some of you go to the library and you buy. We don't believe that. We believe that the Bible was inspired by God. But it's thousands of years old. Well, yes, it is. And there was no printing presses around when the Bible was written. No, it was copied out by hand. And it wasn't written in English, was it? No, it wasn't. It was written in Greek and Hebrew. And so we only read a translation of that. Well, most of us, actually. At the moment, I go to college about six days a year to study the Bible. And I was actually there this week. And on Friday, I sat down in the class and a guy who I didn't know came and sat next to me. And he opens his Kindle with his Bible on it. And I'd got mine, which had got the NIV, which is a version of the Bible, or even the message, which is really up to date and not really the one you meant to have in college for serious study. And I kind of had a little bit of a look out the corner of my eye at this guy's Kindle and he'd got the Bible on there in Greek 
I'm like, oh, my life, I'll keep my head down. Then I'm not going to answer any questions today because I'm sitting by the guy who knows what he's talking about. But some people, yeah, have, you know, learn these things and they know how to read these things. And the whole, there's a whole science around how the Bible, out of all these thousands of copied manuscripts, is all brought together and how, you know, it was all translated so that we've got what scholars believe is the absolute best copy, best version, best translation of what God is trying to say to us. And yes, there might be the odd word where it's like, well, should it be translated like this or should it be translated like that? But generally speaking, the actual message of the Bible, what God is trying to say, is kept consistent throughout. And God is able to keep by his Holy Spirit the purity of what he's trying to say to mankind through his Bible. So reading the Bible is not just like going and getting your local newspaper or getting a book from the library and reading it. God can speak to you through the Bible. So if you feel like God never speaks to me, but you never read the Bible, it's not rocket science to work out what the problem is. The more we read the word of God, the more chance God has got of speaking to you and into your life. So is that the only way? Well, no, I do believe God can speak to us in other ways. God sometimes speaks to you through someone else. Someone might come to you and go, you know what, I've been praying for you and I believe God might be saying this to you or that. Or maybe you're sitting in church and someone gets up and they share something and you think, it feels like God's just, you know, they're just speaking just to me. And that might be God speaking to you. And those are all great things. I'd like to give you a couple of cautions, if you like. If anyone says to you, God, you know, I believe God's given me a word for you and what they share with you doesn't match up with what the Bible says, then they're wrong end of because God's not going to say something to you that contradicts what he would have said in the Bible so that's the first thing to test out does this thing that this person shared with me actually you know and the Bible tells us to test what people say to us the other word of caution I would get about it's easy isn't it we think oh I need God to speak to me I need God to give me a word so I'm going to go to my life group and I'm going to say to them I need God to speak to me can you tell me give me a word tell me what God might be saying And it's a bit like me thinking, I want to hear what my dad is saying this morning, so I'm going to ring my brother up and ask him what my dad's talking about. It would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? You go straight to your dad and you ring him up and you talk to him if you want to know what he's saying and what he's thinking. And it's the same with God. And if we constantly rely on other people to be speaking into our lives, we're not getting used ourselves to hearing what God's voice sounds like to us. And we're not getting used to hearing what he's saying to us. So it's not wrong, but I don't think it's perhaps the best method most of the time. And thirdly, sometimes God can speak to you in just that still, small voice. That's something inside that just knows. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you get that feeling, you just know that something is right. And again, we need to weigh it against the Bible because sometimes the strongest of our feelings can lead us down the wrong track. But sometimes you just have that feeling and you just know this is God speaking to you. So God will not necessarily speak to you in a vision every day of the week, but he can speak to you on a regular basis through your ongoing relationship with him. So how does Ananias respond to God speaking to him in this vision? Well, the first two words that he actually says when God calls him, I think are absolutely crucial to this and absolutely key to praying bigger prayers. Two words that he responds with, and you've already sung them this morning, and they're these words, yes, Lord. 
Let's just think about that word yes. Have you ever seen the X Factor? Yeah, you have. Come on. You've seen the X Factor, or Britain's Got No Talent, or whatever it is. And the people there, they put themselves on the stage, they go through agonies to present their little performance to the judges, and they're just waiting to hear that one word, yes. And then they want to hear it again, and then a third time, and then if Simon Cowell says it, that's it, that's success, yes. But the word yes, it's hard to define, isn't it? What does the word yes mean? It means... Yes, you know, you can't kind of get your head. But it's, it's an unlocking word. It's a door-opening word. And the word Lord, when Ananias said Lord, he's acknowledging that God was his master. God's his ruler. God's in charge of his life. He's surrendered his life to God. So when he says, yes, Lord, that is just an amazing statement. And how often in your prayer life and my prayer life, because like I say, I'm not an expert, Do I bring this list of things to God, all my small things of my life, to a God who sometimes feels far away? And I'm like bringing this list to him and I'm saying, God, please will you say yes to me? And God's saying, actually, you know what? I want you to say yes to me. So what does God tell Ananias to do? He says, will you go and lay hands on this guy called Saul? Some of you will be really familiar with what that means, laying hands. First, I would like to say it was not like when you were a kid and you did something wrong and your parents say, you wait till I get my hands on you. Not the same kind of laying hands at all. But what actually does this mean, this laying hands? Laying hands on someone is, is like comes alongside praying for them and it's like you're identifying with them, you're kind of standing with them, there's a connection you want to kind of represent the fact that you're, you're praying to God and the Holy Spirit is in you and you're kind of wanting to connect with them. It's not a magical thing. There's nothing magical about my hands if I lay hands on someone and pray. Anything that happens, happens through the power of God and not my hands. But you can just imagine, can't you, if someone wanted to pray for you for healing and they kind of stand about six feet away and pray, you think, gosh, they just don't want to catch something. But it's a way of really identifying with someone, standing with them and imparting something to them. So sometimes in this church we will ask people to come forward to, pray, to be prayed for and people will lay hands on them. And, and that's what it's about. And sometimes when that happens they fall over. And that can be a bit worrying, can't it? If someone prays for you, are you meant to fall over? Well, you can fall over if you want. Sometimes... Someone prays for you and the sense of the power and the presence of God can be so strong, you just fall over. But that's not the key to the transformation. You see, you can fall over and you can have a great time with God on the floor and there is nothing wrong with that. But what is really important is the transformation that happens in your life that you then get carry with you when you get up and walk out the door. And we want to be really authentic in this church. And sometimes, you know, I've seen people pray for people and they lay hands on them so hard that they have no choice but fall over. And, you know, I want to be, you know, authentic about this. And if the power of God hits you so hard that you fall over, that's great. But if it doesn't, don't get all second class about it. And, oh, I didn't have a proper prayer. I didn't have a big prayer. God doesn't really like me so much because I'm still standing. It doesn't matter. It's about the transformation that happens afterwards. So God speaks to Ananias and he tells him to go and lay his hands and pray for Saul. 
There's a little problem because Ananias has heard about Saul. Ananias knows what he's like and he knows what he's done. And Ananias, being one of the leaders in the church in Damascus, knows that Saul's on his way to seek out the church in Damascus and put them to death. So how would you feel if God said, I want you to go and land some prey on this person? And he does something that at first when I read it, I thought, oh yeah, you know, that's a bit weak, you know, because he goes back to God and he kind of checks out that God realises who Saul is. You know, God, do you know who this bloke is that you're asking me to go and pray for? Do you know what he's done? As if God wouldn't know that. But then I thought, actually, no, I think that's a good thing that he did. Because he'd, he'd heard God speak to him and he's gone back to God and he's checked it out and he's gone, God, are you really saying? And actually, I don't think that is a sign of weakness. I think that's a good thing to check back. And he doesn't argue the toss with God because God says, he says, look, it'll be all right. You know, this guy's my messenger. Da, 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 da. You'll be fine. Go and do it. And he does. And he goes to the house and he sees Saul and he lays hands on him. And this is the prayer that he prays. And I want you to decide whether you think this is a big prayer. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I added the amen. That was his prayer. Was that a big prayer? It certainly wasn't long. There were no deep, meaningful, long, complicated words in it. But I think it was a big prayer, you know, because the result of that prayer was that Paul, Saul became Paul who then went out and spoke to the Gentiles. Those are the non-Jews. In other words, me and you. There is a sense in which we're sitting here today because Paul went to the Gentiles to preach the words of Jesus. And that happened partly through the prayer of Ananias, this ordinary guy. So I think that was quite a big prayer, yeah? But why use Ananias? Why did God pick this normal church leader and tell him to do it. You see, God could have just gone to this house himself in Straight Street, gone kapow, there you go, Saul. Saul gets healed, can see again, restored, and goes on his way. God could have done that, but he chooses to invite this guy Ananias into the story. Why? This is what God does. God uses ordinary, normal people in his work and I started to think and I thought can I think of a verse in the a story in the bible where god is not using people to do his work and I didn't to be fair read the entire bible so maybe you can think of one that I missed but I couldn't there was actually only one story I could find in the bible where god did something completely off his own back with no in, nothing to do with people whatsoever and it was actually the story of creation which happened before there were actually people on the earth anyway Because when you find the Red Sea in front of the Israelites, you find Moses there with his staff. And when there's a giant threatening the Israelites, you find David there with a sling and a stone. And even when Jesus is walking on water and Peter says, can I join in? He says, yeah, of course you can. Come and join me. And he does. And everywhere along the line you find that God uses people to carry out his work, which is amazing when you realise how messed up and how mixed up and how often we get it wrong that God would want to do that, but he does. And I think this is just another example of where God says, right, you know, I'm going to use somebody to do this this and to be involved in this story. And so he chooses Ananias. I think the second reason he chose Ananias was that he knew Ananias was going to say yes and do it. I know that he said that because he'd actually given 
Saul a vision that said when someone called Ananias went and laid hands on him. Now it might be that because there's so many Ananiases in the Bible that he got a few. So if the first one said no, maybe he'd move on to number two or number three. But I doubt it. He knew and obedience can be the key to all of this. So I want to ask you, sort of, as I'm coming to a close, really, how do you pray? Do you make a list of all the things in your life and bring them to God in the hope that God will come away around to your way of thinking? And say there's nothing wrong with bringing your request to God, but is that all it is? Or do you allow God to speak to you? Do you allow this two-way conversation, hear what he's saying and then pray? How much of your prayer life is taken up by trying to get God to say yes to you when he's waiting for you to say yes to him? And I just want to share, like, this is quite a personal kind of example of how this worked out f- um, for me. So this isn't a, a, it's not an equation or a formula for success, it's just an example. But towards the end of last year, we'd had quite a lot of challenging situations happening in our life. And um, it, October was a particularly bad year for a number of, bad year? Yeah, it felt like a year, it was actually only a month. Um, it was quite a bad month and a few things happened and... As a result of that and getting kind of tired and drained, my prayer life had kind of just devolved into a, God, will you do this? God, will you sort that out? God, please, will you sort that out? And that's what it had become. And the one day I, I read someone's blog, and this blog was about the story of the Last Supper, which we'll be thinking of in a couple of weeks at Easter. And in the story of the Last Supper, there's just a phrase that we hear so often around communion, and it says, Jesus took bread, broke it, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples. You've all heard that loads of times. Just think about it. Here's Jesus. He's about to be betrayed by his best friend and die the most horrific death that a man has ever invented. And what's he doing? He's breaking bread. He's giving thanks and, and the whole point of this blog was talking about how in the midst of our difficulties and our sufferings, it is still possible to be thankful and grateful. And something about it sort of grabbed me and I thought, mm, maybe God, maybe God is speaking to me about this. And then at the same time, I'm reading my Bible and at the time I was reading through the book of Psalms. And I was reading Psalm 50 a couple of days after this, I read this blog. And the last verse in Psalm 50 said something like, He who, offers, he who sacrifices thank offerings honours me and he prepares the way so that I can show him my salvation. Which is my kind of mixed up translation of all the different versions of that I've read. So it's, it was kind of like it jumped off the page at me and I thought, wow, God, are you saying to me that if instead of keep bringing to you all this list of stuff that I want you to sort out, actually I need to put that aside for a day or two and actually say, be thankful. Because if I'm thankful, then maybe that is me helping to prepare the way so that you can show me your salvation in all these things that you know about anyway. So that's what I tried to do, and it wasn't easy. And I still try and do it, and it's still not easy. But I can honestly say that since that day, some of the challenges that I faced back in October are still there, and they're still quite real. Some of them are not. God has moved in some of them, and he's changed things. Now, I'm not, as I say, offering you a formula there, yes, be thankful, and God will change your situation. But I'm just trying to get the point across that sometimes we need to hear God. Instead of just keep, God, can you do this? God, can you do that? God, can you do the other? Take time to listen. What is God saying to me in this situation?
What is God saying to you in your situations? And then pray alongside of that. Personally, I believe that's how we pray bigger prayers. By listening to what God has to say. And then praying alongside, along with that. When you put a tape measure against something, you get an exact answer. You might not read it properly like I didn't with the floor tiles, but you get an exact answer. Prayer isn't like that. But I'd like to ask you, how do you think this morning that you might be able to move your prayer life just on a little bit in a bigger direction? It might be that you never pray because you don't know this God that, you t- that we're talking about. Maybe you need to sort that out and find out about him. Maybe you're just really growing, starting off with prayer and all you do is bring your lists to God. Well, maybe you want to think about maybe asking him to speak to you. Maybe you don't really read the Bible very much and maybe you need to do that. Or maybe you're an expert who's way beyond me in prayer and that's great too. And hopefully, you know, I've shared something that you can connect with this morning. I just want to, um, just before we do draw to a close, we've got this everyday challenge um, that is in your notes. It's right in the middle. I did look this morning to just refresh my memory and actually didn't see it to start with, which was a bit of a panic moment, but it is there. It's in the middle. And what, what we're sort of asking you to do is your everyday challenge this week is to read a chapter of the Bible and just pick one verse out of it that you think kind of jumps out to you. Write it down and carry it with you that day. Ask God to speak to you through it. It might be that day one, Nothing really happens. That's fine. But if you keep persevering, I am sure that God will begin to speak to you if you allow him to and if you're open to. And just so just as we're kind of coming to a close and we're going to sing, I just thought, how do we end this? How do we end this talk on prayer? And I thought, it would be wrong, I feel, to talk about prayer for you know 35 minutes or whatever and then not give people a chance to pray at the end. So perhaps we can stand and the band are going to come back. And um, what we're going to do, just as we, in the last few minutes of this service, I just want to invite you, if you need God to speak to you, if you need prayer for anything, it could be healing, it could be finance, it could be anything you like, we're just going to invite you to come out and there will be people here who can pray for you, who will lay hands on you and who will pray for you. And I just, you know, whatever it is this morning, I just want to encourage you to do that. To come out, let someone pray for you. Let God speak into your situation. Let God really touch you in an amazing way this morning that only he can. Okay, so we're going to sing a song and we'll pray. But you you come forward and get someone to pray for you this morning. I sat down then I just sort of felt like God sort of impressed on my heart that maybe there's someone here and you've been asking God to do something for you for a very long time and you know deep down a little voice is saying to you you still haven't said yes to something else and I just feel there may be someone who knows that at some point they've said no God I'm not doing that and they've closed the door and God's saying you know what the key is for you to open that door again and say yes. And when you say yes, then I can work in your life on the things that you keep bringing to me. So if you feel that is for you, then come forward, let's pray and see God just really release that thing.